Um, all right, that brings us to my last president, which is Chester A. Arthur, who was mentioned earlier with Grant, right? Mm-hmm. Now, his wife, Ellen Herndon, died a year before his presidency. Um, usually when you see black and white pictures of, like, men and women back then, they're kind of, like, not – how should I say this? Not very attractive. Mm-hmm. His wife was hot. Mm-hmm. So, like, I invite you to go to Wikipedia and check out this black and white picture of Ellen Herndon. I mean, my goodness. And apparently he was kind of a a civil rights lawyer in New York before, like, he was always wealthy, but when he met her, she really, like, loved wealth, and he started kicking it into high gear and apparently getting involved (laughs) in a lot of corruption. And when you see a picture of her, you're like, all right, I get it. My first charge against Chester A. Arthur is corruption. Um, Before his vice presidency, Arthur worked as a civil rights lawyer, and... Then um, he worked for the New York Customs House. About 70% of federal revenue came through the Customs House, which collected duties on imports. So, yeah. So when shit came through the Customs House, you know, they would collect like a tax, a duty. Uh, you know, <laughs> you know fuck me up every time I say duty. I had so much wine right now. <laughs> I thought I was drinking all that shit. That's a relief. Arthur and others got a cut from imposing fines, which was a strong incentive for malfeasance. So in other words, Chester Arthur and all of his buddies, like anytime they could find something wrong with any import, um, whether it was made up or not, they would get a cut. And so people in the customs house were known for getting really fucking rich. If you wanted to get rich quick, you'd be really lucky if you got a job at the custom house, as long as you didn't mind, you know, malfeasance, bending the rules however you wanted to to get rich. Um, He gained office due to the spoils system, not by vote. So this was something we talked about earlier, the spoils system where you kind of made deals like uh, Garfield really hated Chester A. Arthur. You know, he was a complete opposite viewpoint. Um, And so the spoils system was sort of like you'd make a lot of agreements, and if you wanted to just kind of tuck somebody away someplace where they wouldn't do much harm, um, you'd make them vice president. So – he got to be vice president, and they thought they'd just be able to kind of forget about him, make a deal, you know, rub the right – grease the right wheels. But then fucking Ch- uh, Garfield got shot, mm. and now Chester A. Arthur is the president, and everybody hates him. Nobody saw this coming. And back then, by the way, if you're keeping score, consider how many impeachments or attempted impeachments or assassinations happened in these – what is it? Seven presidents we're doing right now? Mm-hmm. Man, people are sick of this shit. <laughs> so Arthur – Drunk and feeling he was among friends at a dinner put on by the Union League Club members at New York's Delmonico Restaurant, Um, J.P. Morgan and Ulysses Grant were there in the audience. This was before his inauguration as vice president. He almost couldn't help himself by boasting about the corruption that got him there. In his toast, he said, I don't think we had better go into the minute secrets of the campaign because I see the reporters are present. You cannot tell what they may make of it because the inauguration has not yet taken place. If I should get to going about the secrets of the campaign, there is no saying what I might say to make trouble between now and the 4th of March. If it were not for the reporters, I would tell you the truth because I know you are intimate friends and devoted adherents to the Republican Party. Oh, my God. And he was making a reference to all the votes that were bought with corrupt money. Not long after that, Charles Guiteau assassinated President Garfield, and the reason why Charles Guiteau assassinated him was he was a political climber, and he was trying to talk to all the people in Garfield's campaign, and the only person that was even vaguely nice to him was Chester A. Arthur. So he got it in his head. If he could kill Garfield, 
then Chester A. Arthur would rise to be president because of the spoils system would probably give him a nice job. And so he just started telling everybody, now Chester Arthur is president. So you got this whole basic lead the whole country that fucking already hates Chester A. Arthur, and now somebody just killed the president. Mm. And the the guy that killed him is saying, yay, Chester A. Arthur is president. <laughs> so basically, Chester A. Arthur went into hiding for oh a little while. <laughs> um, now, actually, Chester A. Arthur, I couldn't help but start to kind of like the guy in a way, because mm. this is also a story of redemption, even though like he's another corrupt politician, and he, he's kind of stayed corrupt in a way. But he's hiding out. He's beside himself. All the reports are he's sobbing. Like people are, you know, he he goes to Garfield's wife who hates him and just like basically falls apart on the floor and starts sobbing like a baby. Um, He did not want to be president. There has never been a man that was less thrilled to wind up being president than Chester A. Arthur. And in the middle of this, you know, the whole country's calling out for his blood. Um, This woman, this bedridden New Yorker named Julia Sands begins writing these letters to him. And she calls herself a little dwarf, which is like another way of saying jester. And the dwarf was the person who traditionally was the one person who could speak truth to the king. That's why she called herself the little dwarf. And basically she was saying the whole nation is in mourning, not just because the president is dead, but because you're about to be president. They (laughs) hate you. But I know something about you, Chester Arthur. I know when you were a New York lawyer fighting for civil rights to allow black people to ride the tramways in New York. Um, I know you used to do good, and I know you can rise to something better than what you've chosen to be. Um, So this is kind of a beautiful part of the story, and I kind of wanted to leave this out because I'm trying to make a case of how much these presidents suck, and he does suck. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, this was just such a neat part of history. Yeah. Um, and apparently like this, this writing back and forth was kind of what got him through. And I'll refer back to these letters at the end of this. Um, but yeah, one of actually one of Arthur's last acts before he died as I'm charging him with corruption was to burn all of his papers. Um, you know, as soon as he knew he was dying, he was like, burn everything. I don't want people to know what I was into. I don't want people to know what was going on. The one thing he didn't have burned was the letters from Julia Sands. Um, and to me, that's kind of a, a beautiful thing. Like, he, I think he thought of those letters as representing the best part of himself. Um, kind of maybe feeling bad about being such a corrupt politician. Um, I also charge Chester A. Arthur with ineptitude. He was not fit for office. Um, Arthur was vain. He moved his birthday year back to appear younger. He would tell people like a false year so they would think he was younger. During the Civil War, he was a brigadier general, but he encouraged everybody to call him general. Um, kind of giving himself like a little promotion there. To look fresh as vice president when he got the job, Arthur updated his wardrobe, running up a bill of $726.75, which is roughly like $18,000 today. And he paid it in cash. I mean, this guy was a high roller. And at a time when there was these strikes, people are starving. He's just throwing money around on a pair of pants. Mm. I mean, imagine what that looks like to the poor workers out there, like trying to figure out how to feed their kids. And there's this asshole, like buying a wardrobe for $18,000. In 1881, during his presidency, Chicago, Illinois, is the first American city to create local 
um, ordinances regulating smoke discharges, followed soon by Cincinnati, Ohio. So for the first time, air pollution had been a thing that had been noticed for centuries. But for the first time in America, finally, industry that's, you know, I said spreading in the south and then picking up with all the immigrants, now it's getting to the point where the cities are starting to get worried because the air stinks, it's hard to breathe, people are starting to think about pollution. Maybe they've crossed a line. Um, Arthur had no vice president, but he was the first president to have a personal valet. Mm. Former President Hayes described his behavior as a debauchery of, quote, liquor, snobbery, and rosé. <laughs> Arthur loved indulgences, caring more about parties than running the country. He hosted as many as 50 state dinners, the first one he held for General and Mrs. Grant in 1882. All the upper echelons of Washington society ate food cooked by an imported French chef doled out by servants wearing customized uniforms selected by Arthur himself, who longed for his days as vice president, which afforded status without responsibility. (laughs) He really hated being uh, the president. He habitually stayed awake until 2 a.m., Sounds like he was kind of a party animal. He just wanted to like hobnob with all the rich people and be rich, and he didn't want to actually do work. Like this sucked. And I guess this is generally like I find it suspicious that a guy killed the president and this guy rises to power, but I guess most historians don't even entertain that for the very fact that he seemed to hate the presidency so freaking much. (laughs) Um, In 1882, there was an insurrection in Greenwood, New York. Tax disputes and taking of land to pay taxes, in other words, crooked crooked government guys, you know, taking money from the poor again, led to an armed resistance. People grabbed their guns and said, fuck you, come try to collect it. Um, In 1883, in Social Problems, which was a text written by Henry George, the tramp crisis continues, and Henry George asked, what is the tramp? Known as he is from the Atlantic to the Pacific, he constitutes an appearance more menacing to the Republic than that of hostile armies or fleets bent on destruction. Deeper significance reside beneath this terrible phenomenon, the tramp. The unemployed workingman's degeneration into a vagabond and an outcast, a poisonous pariah, reminds us that in civilized man still lurks the savage poised to emerge wherever men were alienated from property. Now, I found that really interesting because he draws that parallel between if you're alienated from personal property, in other words, the idea that you can own land, then the savage might arise in you. And what are they trying to do to break the savage and the indigenous people? Convince them to own land. Hmm. I found that a really interesting parallel between the two things happening at this point in history. In 1884, there were Cincinnati riots in Ohio, always in fucking Cincinnati, Ohio. It's on the edge of the frontier. It's one of the biggest cities in the nation. Yeah, and like Ohio's got, well, never mind. I'm not going to say anything bad about Ohio. Uh, public outrage over a jury verdict of manslaughter in what was seen as a clear-cut case of murder. There was a violent mob for a few days, leaving more than 50 people dead and the courthouse destroyed. Um, and in 1885, John Swinton's paper published a letter from, quote, an old soldier on the tramp who claimed to have fought from Bull's Run to Chickamauga, Lookout Mountain, Mission Ridge, and others. After describing mass unemployment in his Indiana hometown, he expressed resolve to, quote, rig me up some kind of an outfit, take to the country and forage. It is enough to make a man damn himself for coming to the rescue of such a government that allows its soldiers to starve. Mm. So once again, you know, the government like gets people to fight, kill and murder and then leaves them out in the cold. How many homeless people do we see on the corner now that say like homeless veteran? Uh, It's the same old shit. And we keep signing up to fight their wars for them. Um, And this 
this tramp crisis continues. You know, it's scaring the hell out of people in power. And in 1885, we have the Rock Springs Massacre in Rock Springs, Wyoming. A riot between Chinese and white miners left 28 killed and 15 injured. So all that I say is Chester A. Arthur is somewhat responsible as the leader and the commander-in-chief um, for ineptitude. I also charge him with abuse of power. Um, so he started rebuilding the Navy and laid the groundwork for a more expansive role for the federal government. Now, this is kind of a tricky one. Like the Navy, of course, we use to invade other countries. You know, it's said that we're protecting the shores, but how often do we actually have people trying to invade us that the Navy protects us from? Moreover, they sent, they're sent out to invade someone else. I consider that an abuse of power. Um, I would think that our commander-in-chief is meant to keep things running smoothly here, and at a time when things are blowing the fuck up everywhere, he's building up the Navy to go take over other places and make more money for the rich. Mm. And more federal government. This was a time when, like, state rights often involved slavery. So it was a tricky issue because if you believed in state rights, you were kind of saying like, oh, the slave states, they can keep their slaves. But if you believe in federal government, that might abolish slavery. But then you've got this one rule. You've got 1984, George Orwell's 1984. You've got Big Brother, this one government that encompasses all these diverse peoples and forces them to live under the same law by the same value system. Um, I think that's an abuse of power. He also signed the Chinese Exclusion Act, which was the thing that got vetoed by Rutherford B. Hayes. Well, it came back, and he signed it. It's the first total ban on a nation or ethnic group from immigrating into the country. Um, I also will charge him – that was abuse of power – and indigenous rights violations. Oh, let's see. Here we have, regarding Indians, Arthur advocated, quote, severing their tribal relations and individuals owning land so they could be schooled and assimilated into an American society, which was the method favored by liberal reformers. Mm. So all the bleeding heart liberals back then were like, you know, this is how we need to take care of our red brothers, you know, send them to school, teach them how to read and write like good white people. I'd imagine they'd call them red children. Yeah. Our, our red children, and and teach them how to own land. These poor savages don't even know. They share everything. Teach them how to own land so they can be industrious citizens and participate in America. This is the kind of fucking bullshit that led to all kinds of shit that's still happening. Um, in 1885, settlers and cattle ranchers continue encroaching on Indian territory. Arthur opened up the Crow Creek Reservation in Dakota Territory to settlers by executive order. So he used his power as president just to – even though it was on a reservation, you know, they'd already been pushed here and here's the little like crappy piece of land they get to have. Now he opened that up like, oh, why don't we go settle on that? Sorry. So I guess for any final words I have about Chester A. Arthur, um, I guess the only thing I want to add is back when I mentioned the the British colonizing – the beating the Zulu and colonizing Africa with their Gatlin gun. Now, a few years later, an animal known as the Quahaha, you've probably seen a picture of it. It looks like a zebra up front, looks kind of like a horse in the, from its shoulders down. It's wiped off the face of the planet. Um, so now, after all this industrialization and colonialization, we're starting to see species that have been here since the dawn of time blipped off the face of the earth. Mm. So there goes the Quahaha. Now we can only see it in pictures. And that's my case against Arthur. Aww. I'm I'm sad for the Kohaha. <laughs> <laughs>